scripture this morning is found in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the Red Pew Bible, it's page 887. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing in God if God were not with him. That was the introduction to the new birth by Jesus. Wonderful study. It is so good to be back at Katy. Always is good for me. The journey is long from north central Texas to southeast Texas. Takes a long time, and it's worth it. I'm so glad to be here. I'm building up memories. A few times ago, I got here one week early, and uh, Brother Autry delivered me. I called him on the phone. He was consternated to begin with, but he took the matter into his hands and arranged for me to speak anyway. And uh, my concern at that time was where I should have been that Sunday morning. I have uh, another memory now to add to this because when I got here last night and went to the motel, I opened up the trunk of my car to get my suitcase and behold, it wasn't there. And so I made a late trip after dining with the Smithsons who treated me wonderfully last night. I went to Walmart and bought a few things and uh, fortunately I'm all in one piece but I'm not dressed the way I used to. I don't always wear my boots with my suits. I just wanted you to know that. <laughs> Wasn't that a good Bible class this morning on Jeremiah? If you didn't hear it, you really missed a wonderful thing. And the conviction with which Brother Brown brought the lesson showed the study and the spirit that he that he absorbed from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one faithful man, a true preacher of God's Word. And in the ministry, he was told, it's not going to be easy. That's exactly the words of Brother Brown a while ago. He was told it's going to be difficult. And in the midst of his men, by the way, he preached for 43 years without a recorded response and yet he stayed with it. Finally, tradition says that he was shanghaied to Egypt, where after having preached, he was stoned to death. This was a man who was worthy of imitation. In the middle of his ministry, after his mother, his father, his brothers tried to kill him, then he said in Jeremiah 20 and verse 7, 
if I say I'll not make mention of him or speak any more in his name. He got tired of being rejected, scorned, and he said, if I say I'll not make mention of him or speak any more in his name, then there is within my heart, as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with forbearing, and I cannot contain. And he had belched forth the word of God. The man couldn't help it, he was a preacher. Preachers have to preach. I certainly gravitate to the spirit of Jeremiah. Our lesson this morning will be in the book of, from the book of Galatians. There's a passage I want to bring to your attention and I want you to carry it home with you. That's Galatians 5 and verse 1. A remarkable statement where he said, For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast therefore and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Now for those who really understand the great doctrine, the gospel message of justification by the grace of God through an obedience of faith in Christ, that has to be one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture, encouraging to become a Christian, encouraging to remain a Christian, and encouraging to tell others about it. And that's not just words. When a man understands the gospel, when he understands the depth of his sin and that we are worthy of spending eternity in a devil's hell, then you begin, and when you feel that, and you can wipe your brow because you're a Christian and say, boy, I escaped from that kind of an eternal condemnation where almost all of the human race are going to go. We're one of the survivors if we're faithful to the death. What he said was, at the moment that faith in Christ as sin offering leads you to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, at that moment, every sin, the guilt and the penalty thereof, has been completely forgiven. But that's not all. Because of what Christ became at the cross, our sin offering, our sin bearer, our justifier, our redeemer, all of that kicks in at baptism. And because of that, he not only has forgiven us when at baptism all the guilt and the penalty of sins prior, but he has taken care of every sin and the guilt and the penalty that we're going to commit in the future if, if, if we remain faithful to the death. Not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. But what he did at the cross was to become the satisfaction the propitiation. That's 1 John 4 and verse 10 here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation defined as satisfaction. That's Isaiah 53 and verse 11. Jehovah shall see the travail of his soul. Here he is on the cross in the 8th century B.C. and Jeremiah sees what he's going through as he hangs there and he says, Jehovah shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God is satisfied. Earlier in verse 10, God made his soul an offering for sin. He's your sin offering. He didn't pay the price for half your sin, almost all your sin. When Christ went to the cross, Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 said, he delivered us from the curse of the law, which is separation from God, 
having become a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that upon the Gentiles might come the blessing of Abraham. Now that blessing, given in Genesis 12 and verse 3, in thy seed, God said to the old patriarch, he said, in thy seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now Paul in Galatians 3 and in verse 16 quotes from that. He says, now to Abraham were the promises spoken unto his seed, and he saith, not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And he quotes it, and to thy seed, which Paul by inspiration says, is Christ. So when God to Abraham 4,000 years ago said, in thy seed shall all nations be blessed, he said, in Christ shall all nations be blessed. Now what's the blessing? Somebody says, Christ. No. Christ is the seed. In thy seed all nations shall be blessed. What's the blessing? Paul quotes it again in verse 8 when he says that the seed is Christ. The blessing is justification by faith in Christ. What is it to be justified? It's to be accounted righteous. That's the most marvelous thing my sinful ears ever had a chance to hear. You can actually be on the ground of what Jesus became at the cross. You can become the righteousness of God in Him. That's who you're baptized into, in Him. If you understand what you're doing at baptism, if you know that you're expressing, Colossians 2 and verse 12, faith, baptism is faith in the working of God. In that context, he's using the analogy of circumcising, cutting away sin said you don't need physical circumcision, you've been circumcised spiritually, with a circumcision not made with hands in the cutting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. And then in Colossians 2 and in verse 12, he says baptism is faith in the working of God. When you're baptized, God goes to work. What does he go to work doing? Cutting away sin. There is no salvation until a man is baptized for the remission of sins. The idea of salvation by faith alone is a contradiction of James 2.24 that says you're not saved by faith alone. Now, Paul has then, to the Galatians, rendered the gospel. He has preached, and they were pagans when he came there. And we have to get some background to that, because when Paul said, you're freed for freedom, he was using his final culminating argument against the false doctrine that false teachers were teaching, that these Christians, already justified by faith in Christ, when chapter 3, 26 and 7, they were baptized, he said, you're going to have to remember. Uh, the, these false teachers were saying you're going to have to be circumcised, and you're going to start keeping the law of Moses in order to be saved. Well, Paul understood immediately that that was a pernicious doctrine. It would cut people off from God. Oh, yeah. Why? Because the law of Moses was a legal system. It was never given to save anybody. The law of Moses didn't save any Jew, never saved a Gentile, never saved anybody. It wasn't its point. When, in background, 
The first missionary journey set out in Acts chapters 13 and 14, where the Holy Spirit, through one of the prophets that was there in the church at Antioch, came and said, Separate from me Barnabas and Paul for the work whereunto I have called them. Chapter 14, verse 26 through 27 says the work that they had accomplished was the first missionary journey. And so they went out to preach the gospel of Christ. Now in the first place they went, Iconium, uh, the first place was Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And these, I have no doubt, constitute the churches of Galatia who were the recipients of the Galatian epistle. Well, they went first of all, Paul and Barnabas, on the work they had been assigned to carry out to Antioch of Pisidia. There they preached the gospel. Now that's in Acts chapter 13. Here's where Paul presents all those Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Anointed One, God's Christ, was to fulfill. And he said Jesus in his resurrection is proven to be the one who fulfills those messianic prophecies. And then he came down to end his sermon and in verse 38 and 39, listen carefully, he said, Be it known to you, brethren, that through this man is proclaimed unto you remission of sins, and by him everyone receives remission of sins from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now he makes two marvelous statements. Christians today, my pulse feeling tells me, need to be educated to. And this is what Paul is educating, re-educating the Galatians to because they were actually yielding to the false doctrine there and rejecting Christ by faith in him. They were putting faith in themselves by keeping the law. So what Paul has to do is to show, number one, the utter impossibility of being justified by the legal system of the law of Moses. And then he has to restate what originally he stated to begin with to bring these people into Christ. And that is justification by grace through faith in Christ. Now as we look at this, we see why is it a man could not be justified by the law of Moses. You could be justified under that law. Remember David? Now David committed terrible sins. You know what they are. But he was justified. Nathan the prophet came to him and said, You shall not die. God has put away thy sin. On what ground did God put away the sin of David? The ground on which he's put away your sin when at baptism your faith was in Christ. Not faith, that's not the ground, that's the human response. The ground of our justification is the cross. At which point, Isaiah 53, Jesus died the death of a sinner. Now that's why in Matthew 26 and verse 43, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he said it because God forsook him. Now that's picked up in Galatians 3.13 where it says, He delivered us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, Curses everyone hangeth on a tree. When Christ Jesus went to the cross, he went there as a sinner. He committed no sin. 
And that's why he cried, Why hast thou forsaken me? And every person who becomes to the waters of baptism needs to answer the question, Why did God forsake Christ when he committed no sin? Because Jesus died for your sin and mine, paid the price for you, which you can, you and I cannot pay. It's impossible. And so what we're seeing then is the nature of the law of Moses. Now Galatians 3, verse 10 through 12, I judge is the most important statement in Scripture to tell us the nature of the law of Moses. We need to remember it. In verse 10 he says, For as many as are of the works of the law. Now what's that mean? For as many as are of the persuasion that they're justified by the works of the law. Now that was what the Pharisees were. They were actually of the theology that you could be justified by keeping the law. Now Christ himself brings that up in the book of Luke chapter 8 and in verse 9, chapter 18 and verse 9, where he told about those, listen to me, who trusted in themselves that they're righteous. Now think about that. Do you think we can keep enough Christian commandments to make ourselves righteous? Some do, apparently. And after they're baptized and they rise to walk in newness of life, they find out that they're not sinless. They find out that they have done things that they're wrong and they knew they were. And I don't know how many times over the past 55 years I've had students come to me after they study the matter and say, I don't believe I knew what I was doing when I was baptized. Or they might come and say, I don't think I'm good enough to be saved. Now think about that, because I know that there are people in the body of Christ by the hundreds who feel that way. Think about this. A man who understands the gospel, the good news of justification, to be accounted righteous by our faith in Christ, an obedience of faith, it's impossible for that person who understands the gospel to be baptized for the remission of sins, start walking in newness of life, find out they're not perfect, and then to say, I don't think I'm good enough to be saved. That person cannot understand the gospel. No way. It's a contradiction of terms. And we as leaders in the body of Christ are going to have to understand such terminology as this exposes the need of that person. They need something more than repentance and prayer. They need to understand the good news. And the first thing we have to understand is what we're not justified by. And so in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, Paul has to tell these, these former pagans who now having heard the gospel, having obeyed the gospel, they were baptized for the remission of sins, Galatians 3, 26 and 7. Then came the false teachers and said, you've got to be circumcised. Keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And Paul said, if you do, you'll fall from grace. Galatians 5 and verse 1 through 4. Why? Because we get to the gracious salvation of God by faith in Jesus. Not his mother. Not in Muhammad. Not himself. And so Paul is saying the nature of the law, 
Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law, and the Pharisees were of the persuasion, you're justified by the works of the law. They neither understood the nature of law nor grace. They understood neither one. And this is the dilemma that has followed us for 2,000 years. Many have been baptized for remission. Did they understand what they were doing? And so our task is to put teaching into the preaching and school people into the glorious things. But now then, in Galatians 3 and verse 11, he says now that no man is justified by the law before God is evident. Now look at that statement. No man is justified before God by the law. Now, whoever might have ever thought that Jews were justified by the law, if you believe the Bible is the word of God, then you know no man is justified by the works of the law. Well, on what ground then was David justified? The cross. He put his trust in God when Nathan the prophet came and said, God, put away your sin. Now he had to repent. He had to start keeping the law to which he was amenable. But the law condemned King David as surely as it would have condemned every Galatian after they became Christians who accepted circumcision with a view toward keeping the law. And Galatians 5 and in verse 2, Behold, I, Paul said to you, If you receive circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. How is it possible for Christ to profit you nothing and you still be saved? This idea of once saved, always saved, was not born in heaven but in hell. We need to understand the gospel, but we need to understand the law. Its purpose was not to save. It was to educate men to the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Romans 3, verses 19 and 20. We know that what things serve the law saith, it speaks to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world brought under the judgment of God. For through the law cometh the knowledge of sin. And then he says in Romans 7 verse 13, the purpose of the law is to show you the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And so Paul defines the threefold nature of law as I'm teaching my students. What does law then say? It says be perfect. That's what he said. Now over here in Galatians 3 and in verse <clears throat> 11, now that no man is justified by the law before God's evident. Now what makes it evident? The law itself. And he quotes Habakkuk 2 and verse 4 where it says the just, the justified, shall live by faith. And then he states in verse 12, and the law is not of faith. Now, if we're justified by faith and the law is not of faith, logistically you must conclude you cannot be justified by the law. And then he quotes Leviticus 18, verse 5, and says, actually he paraphrases it and says, but he that doeth them shall live in them. What's that them? It's the commandments. Literally, Moses said in Leviticus 18, 5, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my ordinances, which if a man do, he'll live therein. Now, folks, what was the requirement of the law? Sinless perfection. What's the threefold nature of law? The law demanded sinless perfection.
condemned the violator at the first infraction and couldn't justify anybody. Christianity, thank God, is not a legal system. But if we think that it is, and we're baptized for remission, and then begin to walk in the light, and find out that we're not walking perfectly, you might begin to feel like you're not good enough to be saved. Well, I guess so. Who is good enough to be saved? Paul says in Galatians 2 and in verse 20, if justification is by law, indicating it definitely is not, Christ died for nothing. Tell me how you can be justified by a legal system. And then tell me Christ needed to die to give you the same thing you can get on your own strength. Christianity is not a, a system that demands perfection. It's a system that demands you put your trust in Jesus, who is your sin offering. He was cursed for you, paid the price for every sin you've ever committed or will commit. You can be justified by faith in Christ. Isaiah 53, 11. He is our propitiation. That sin offering satisfies the justice of God for every sin you've ever committed or will commit. And then Isaiah 53 and verse 11 where it says, Jehovah shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied and by the knowledge of my righteous servant will he justify. Account as righteous, all you sinners. He'll account you as righteous. Oh, that's good news, folks. That's good news. He will actually account you, your sins, my sins, as if they never were committed. If you understand Christ is your sin offering and that all is supposed to kick in at baptism. What precedes baptism? A knowledge of the good news that man is not justified by keeping commandments, whether the law or the new covenant. You're not justified without keeping new covenant terms, but you're justified by the faith that's in Jesus who will justify you when by faith you trust in him to forgive you by repenting and being baptized. You've expressed your faith. Colossians 2.12, what's baptism? It's faith in the working of God. When you're baptized, if you're expressing faith in Jesus to save you, then God cuts away your sin. Now, it doesn't stop there because he is still your propitiation. He still satisfies God. On the ground that you stand fast. Galatians 5.1, for freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Now, what's this again? When Paul came to the Galatian regions, Acts 13 and 14, he found pagans as well as Jews in the synagogue. In Acts 13, after he preached the gospel of Christ, the Jews threw it out and the Gentiles rejoiced in it. Most of the people at Galatia were former pagans. Galatians 4 and verse 8, Howbeit at that time not knowing God, you were in bondage to them that by nature are no gods. See, they were in idols. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how turn you back again to weak and beggarly rudiments whereunto you desire to be in bondage over again? 
they weren't going back to the law. They were never under it to go back to it. He's preaching the gospel. They obeyed the gospel. Then came the false teachers and said, you've got to keep circumcision the law to be saved. Now, if they accepted that, inasmuch as the law condemns you at the first infraction, then they would be returning to the same guilt for their sins that they were in under idolatry. They weren't going back to the law. They'd go back to bondage under the law. Now what's Christianity? Oh folks, Christianity doesn't demand perfection, thank God in heaven. <clears throat> it doesn't uh, condemn you at the first infraction. And it, you can be justified, but your faith must be rooted, grounded in love. The kind of faith that saves is not faith only. It's a faith that obeys. In brief, we could take James 2, 14 through 26, but let's go to Romans 16, 25 and 6, and see how Paul abbreviated what James said. He said, The gospel is made known unto all nations unto obedience of faith. What's this phrase, obedience of faith? Well, my faith is in Jesus that he's my sin offering. He's paid the price. God's satisfied with what he did. I can't satisfy him. But God is satisfied with what Jesus did for every sin I've committed or will commit. And so I put my trust in him. My faith is in him to satisfy God at the moment I repent from a life of sin, which means for the rest of my life I'm to keep those commandments to be the kind of person God wants me to be. I had to obey covenant terms to become a Christian in the first place. But these are expressions of my faith in Him that He'll do for me what He said He would when I do what He asked me to. And at the point that faith leads me to repent and be immersed for salvation, all of the things He became are kicked in. And I'm justified. And God is satisfied. And I walk in the light, and I'm not perfect. In 1 John 1, 1, 7, if, if, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Praise God in heaven. That's the good news. You can know you're saved as surely as the Bible teaches it. Oh, yes. But don't pervert Christianity into a legal system. There's two kinds of law. There's the legal law, and then there's the law of faith. Romans 3, verse 27. It's a law of faith, which means you better believe. <laughs> you better put your trust in him, not in yourself. If you trust in yourself, as soon as you find out you're not living it the way that you might could have lived it, at least you're not living it the way you should have lived it, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be a question mark. You'll never know if you're going to heaven or hell. And before it's over with, many like that have abandoned the church because they knew not the gospel. Is it possible that we could see Jesus as the resurrected Son of God with all power? He has all authority to forgive sins. And here's that new covenant, and I've got to obey the terms of repentance and baptism, and now the rest of it is up to me. Oh, no, folks. No. It's not up to you. 
Now it's up to you to keep the commandments for the rest of your life. From the heart, you must struggle. Have you thought about 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5? Our warfare is not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds, bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. These corrupted things that's on television, they don't leave you with good thoughts. The immorality is disgusting. The idea of evolution, which in my opinion has done more to draw people away from Christianity than any other single thing that Hell's Fury is using against the Church of Christ, is a part of the television programming. Have you seen Planet Earth 2? Everything there is masterfully done. Magnificent, beautiful, the animal kingdom, the great things. And all of this took billions and billions of years to bring to pass. As if there's no God. As if evolution is the life principle. It is not. God is the life principle. And if I can show you that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and we can do that the same way we can show anything happened in the past that you didn't see, it's a matter of historical testimony, then I can prove to you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he quotes from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 as history and makes doctrine out of it. The question is, do you trust Christ? And so as Paul realized the challenge in the churches of Christ at Galatia, we must realize that today is one of the reasons why we're having problems in the body of Christ. It's because men so often, not everybody, because many understand it, but so many do not. And they're miserable. And they leave. And they say, it's, I can't hold out. It's too hard. They don't understand the good news. So keep in mind, this is the word of a God who loves us with an incredible love. Keep in mind, you cannot be justified by a legal system. A legal system demands perfection, condemns the violator to first infraction, and cannot justify, cannot make you acceptable. And so if you think that by that means you could be saved, then you're trusting in yourself to make yourself acceptable. And Jesus then, all he did was give a bunch of commandments for you to keep. Don't trust in yourself. You must trust in him. And at baptism. When men are baptized, they must be expressing their faith in him as sin offering, as propitiation, satisfying God. And not only for past sins, this idea of I baptize you in the name of Jesus for past sin, the Bible doesn't say that. Say what Peter said, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, by the authority. That's not a formula of words you have to say when you baptize anybody. It's the authority by which we are being baptized for the remission of sins to receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, when people become Christians, if they understand the good news that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago upon the cross satisfied the justice of God for every sin we've ever committed or ever will commit on the ground that we give up our autonomy, we give up our self-rule, we turn ourselves over to the living Christ, lock, stock, and barrel, make no mistake about it, to the point that we bring our thinking into subjection, oh yeah. And if we'll do that, then the song that we sang a while ago that you have perfect joy, complete confidence, having followed the Lord. Because as you follow Him and you commit sin, you're trying not to. Your trust is not in your commandment keeping. Your trust is in Jesus for whom you're keeping commandments the hardest you can. And while you're walking in the light, you commit sin, God has you covered. God has you covered. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, you can't, you can't be saved. That's the good news. You can actually be saved and know it. First John 5, 13, John says, These things I've written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. On the ground of the gospel, you can know that what you have is what God wants you to rejoice in, the eternal life He gives you at the point of your baptism by faith in Christ. Oh, He wants you to rejoice in it. And this will motivate you to keep the commandments. And knowing that you're saved, knowing what you've got, you're going to want to tell others about it. And all of the efforts I've made through the years in classes on evangelism, how to do personal evangelism, and how to overcome argumentations, and how to try to get people to become Christians, folks will not do very much good without the confidence that you yourself are saved and have something to offer to somebody that's permanent. Oh yeah. What a wonderful thing is the gospel of Prince Emmanuel. Oh, it's wonderful. You can be saved. But you must understand the good news and put your trust in Jesus as Savior. Don't you put it in your commandment keeping. You put it in Christ, who, as soon as you're baptized, you become His. You're not yours anymore. First Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Glorify, therefore, God in your body. We're going to give up our autonomy. Oh, yeah. You're going to give up your mindset. You're going to have his mindset. And you're going to come up out of the waters rejoicing, knowing who you are, knowing where you've come from, knowing... As long as you're faithful, and you're not going to be perfect, you're going to heaven. At any point in time that you die, you are secure. 
for you've been given eternal life. Put your trust in the sin offering, the substitutionary sacrifice that satisfies the justice of God for every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. This congregation wants you, if you're not a Christian, to become a Christian. You don't want to put that off. If you know that you're lost and you want to be saved and have the joy of knowing who you are and what your purpose is in life and the joy of knowing you're saved no matter what happens, then we want you to respond and accept the gospel of Christ while we stand and while we sing. is my Lord Jesus is